This is Asha Voices. I'm J.D. Gray. You're listening to the third episode of our 2022 series looking at how the opioid epidemic affects the work of CSD professionals. From children with prenatal opioid exposure showing up on the caseloads of SLPs in schools to the overlap of populations at risk for opioid misuse and hearing loss, Asha Voices is addressing the widespread health crisis. On this episode of the podcast, we're joined by SLP Wendy Olson for a conversation on SLPs in healthcare. She discusses the effects of opioids on respiration and how collaboration may be the key to meeting patients' needs. We should be collaborating with other healthcare team professionals to provide the best possible care for our patients. Plus, here's some of the research into opioids that Wendy highlights specifically for other SLPs. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the Medical SLP Collective. The Medical SLP Collective provides mentorship and evidence-based resources using their proprietary editorial review process for SLPs in the medical world. You can sign up at www.medslpcollective.com. Joining me now is Wendy Olson. Wendy is an SLP and a postdoctoral researcher at the Breathing Research and Therapeutic Center at the University of Florida. The Interprofessional Research Center focuses on issues of respiration in healthcare and rehabilitation. In 2021, Wendy spoke on the opioid epidemic and SLPs working in healthcare at the ASHA Convention in Washington, D.C. She joins the podcast now from Florida to discuss the opioid epidemic and what it means for SLPs in healthcare. Wendy Olson, welcome to ASHA Voices. Thank you so much for having me. Earlier this year, ASHA Voices published episodes about where the opioid epidemic intersects with the caseloads of audiologists and school-based SLPs. Today, we're looking at SLPs working in healthcare. The opioid epidemic is pervasive. Uh, Could you help us understand kind of the scope of the opioid crisis? When we talk about opioid misuse and the opioid epidemic, what are we referring to? Yeah, those are great questions. And really, it is a pervasive issue. It's a nationwide public health crisis. And when we talk about epidemics, we talk about something being localized to a general area. And I think it's really important as researchers and as clinicians, we understand that when we talk about the opioid epidemic, we're talking about the U.S. specifically. We know that it's affecting our communities overall in an adverse way. And with the SLPs, you know, it's different. We're not just looking at people who might have a substance abuse issue. We're looking at people who might have dementia that forgot whether or not they took their medicine, even with all the external memory aids that we provide. We're looking at individuals across the lifespan who are acute users due to post-operative medications. We're looking at little ones who We don't know how it's going to affect their metabolic rates, their metabolism, how it's going to affect their swallowing, their airway patency, their ability to produce a cough to protect that airway if something should happen to get into the wrong pipe. According to Nature, recent publication showed that there was a model from a researcher at Harvard University, and it predicts that we may see a half million deaths from opioid misuse between 2020 and 2032. The findings were published in PNAS, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. So this is a number that is really very large, 500,000, half million. This is uh, the same number that some people might recall in relation to COVID-19, that around the time the U.S. reached that many deaths related to the pandemic, I saw an article, the Associated Press ran 
saying that that's the same number of deaths, or near, it nearly matches the number of, of American deaths from World War II, Korea, and Vietnam combined, just to kind of give an indication of that scope. The trauma from the opioid epidemic, it's having an effect on a lot of families. Absolutely. Wendy explains the number of opioid-related drug overdoses was trending downwards before the pandemic began. Now those numbers are rising. As soon as COVID hit, I think a lot of psychosocial issues impacted our populations. And also, there's a lot of external factors involving recreational use. Fentanyl is a huge, huge issue. Fentanyl is very potent and, as a result, very dangerous. The U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration says it is 50 to 100 times more powerful than morphine. Earlier this month, Kentucky linked its record-breaking drug overdose numbers to the drug, and the Wall Street Journal reports that fentanyl contributed to two-thirds of the record-breaking U.S. drug overdoses in 2021. And while fentanyl seems to be in abundance, Wendy says that the overdose antidote, naloxone, isn't. The cheapest injectable version of the life drug is in low supply, and according to a recent article from Gizmodo, it has been since last summer. The problem is there's scarcity of pharmaceuticals, there's scarcity of research materials due to supply chain issues we've experienced even after COVID. The readily available use of ways to combat opioid overdose is kind of coming into question. There's a lot of things that are trickle-down effects from COVID-19. In COVID-19, you have limited access to medical intervention. We were told, unless you're super sick, please don't come to the hospital because our beds are being taken up by respiratory compromised individuals. And that's fair advice, but it definitely makes it difficult to treat other underlying conditions such as substance abuse. And we saw that with other illnesses as well. It's again, this trickle down effect that we're starting to see these really catastrophic effects from its catching up to us. Wendy also wanted to highlight the effects of polypharmacy. It refers to the effects of a patient taking multiple drugs, like an opioid and an additional prescription. Those drugs interact or influence the body in complex ways. It's not necessarily 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's more like 2 plus 2 equals 36. It's really hard to predict, especially in humans and even in certain other models, such as animal models, so rodent models, and some of the basic science approaches that we use to study opioid use and in different settings that, you know, how it's going to affect that particular organism, because there is such a large biological variance. When it comes to risks associated with opioid misuse, Wendy highlights that time is of the essence. We also know the longer that we wait to intervene, the harder it is to ameliorate the issue. So we can see it in, in even in our own scope. And I think that's important to consider whenever we're hearing numbers like this. It's really different when we take our lens as SLPs and look at it and go, okay, so what can I do? How can I look at this from my scope of practice? For an SLP who's practicing, what are some of the things that they might want to keep in mind? Some of the things that I would... I would really try to keep in mind is there's a lot of research that has been out there about this for a while, a really important, I feel like, really important uh, research article. Um, It's in 2002. And, you know, they found that there is a lot of effects, long-term effects from chronic opioid misuse or abuse 
there are people out there who are going to have these compounding effects um, because they are prescribed benzodiazepines. And benzodiazepines are a class of drugs that are primarily used for a lot of different conditions. And they also have been reported to have some effect on airway protection and swallowing. Benzodiazepines are actually your class of anxiety medication. So you can think of Xanax, you can think of Klonopin, you can think of a lot of the medications that are prescribed to patients in assisted living facilities. And a lot of times we're thinking, well, they're not alert and oriented because, you know, sundowning or they're tired or, and, and that might be true. They might be tired, but it might be due to the fact that they're prescribed these medications. Maybe there's a better time for us to come back and try. This might not be a true representation of their swelling. If you're also prescribed a benzodiazepine for anxiety or one of your patients are, and then you also have an opioid on board, that's going to cause some severe changes in their swallowing function, their airway protection function, which is in our scope of practice. So it's good to be mindful about these things. And it's always good to ask somebody that it is within their scope of practice. So a large part where we see opioids having a huge issue is in esophageal motility. And I know esophageal motility is not an SLP scope of practice, and I'm not trying to tell anybody to go do that. What I am saying is whenever you're doing your esophageal sweep, you might be the first one to see it. So that makes it your job to let other people know and say, hey, I noticed some things going on here that are concerning. Would you mind taking a look? It really could be that simple. And often, especially in the hospital setting, there are some really great reviews that we do of history. What medications are they currently on in the hospital? What were they taking prior to being admitted or you know, coming to your assisted living facility or SNF? What was going on? And are there changes? Is this why we're seeing changes in swallowing? Because a lot of times, if there's esophageal motility issues, it's not isolated to that structure. It also could be that they're having now some pharyngeal swallowing issues. And that is in our scope of practice. We should be collaborating with other healthcare team professionals to provide the best possible care for our patients. What I'm hearing you say is that some of the effects of prolonged opioid use or misuse may be outside of an SLP scope of practice, but it's important for SLPs to be aware of some of these effects because they can reach out to an interprofessional colleague and say, I want to make you aware of this thing that I spotted, and it may be of concern to you. Absolutely. We know that opioids affect respiration, and the most common cause of death for individuals who are using opioids on a more chronic basis are acute respiratory failure. One of the things that we also need to have in order to maintain a proper swallow is proper coordination between breathing and swallowing. If I notice that somebody is in some respiratory distress and I know that they're prescribed opioids, I'm not going to do anything but call for assistance. I'm not going to try and do anything else other than make sure that they're breathing is well-maintained by the other medical care team professionals because at that point, I know they're not going to be able to swallow. I know they're not going to be able to produce an effervil cough. I know they're not going to be able to give any type of cognitive response that will let me know that they're 
even appropriate for a bedside. It's just not possible. And a lot of times I think just being aware of these things and having that knowledge is powerful. I also think kind of bringing it to the nurse's attention that, hey, I noticed Mr. Smith in room 101 is really having a little bit of difficulty breathing. Did you recently give him some pain management medication? Yeah, I did. Well, maybe I need to come back later. He seems to be not being able to breathe so well. Is is that normal for him? It might be time to advocate for your patient in a, is everything okay way? I want to make sure I'm doing my job and my scope of practice to the best of my ability and make sure my patient is safe. And that's always within your scope of practice. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Wendy discusses research from the Breathing Research and Therapeutic Center, and we talk about the role of stigma in the ongoing opioid epidemic. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the Medical SLP Collective. Have you heard of the Medical SLP Collective? This is an online membership program that provides mentorship and evidence-based resources using the proprietary peer review process for SLPs in the medical world. Do you need help with getting your medical director to agree to an instrumental? Want the latest information on how to appropriately assess your medically complex patient? Need to learn more about a particular aspect of your job while earning ASHA CEUs? They can help with that and so much more. Sign up at www.medslpcollective.com. Today's guest, Wendy Olson, is a postdoctoral researcher at the Breathing Research and Therapeutic Center at the University of Florida. Where we're rejoining the conversation, Wendy is sharing research she and others have done relating to the effects of opioids on respiration. A lot of the things that I'm about to share are actually experiments that we have done in a basic science laboratory. And we were looking at airway protection. So airway protection, as many SLPs are aware, are a continuum of behaviors. So we have the scale from prevention all the way to ejection. And this is not a new concept. This was actually presented um, back in 2014 with um, Troche and colleagues. And prevention, it looks like swallowing material before it goes into our airway. We're going to initiate it. And then ejection, I mean, is anywhere between expiratory effort to a throat clear or a cough. And we're really just trying to scrub those airways with that buildup of pressure to get those irritants out of the airway. Whenever you have opioids on board, and there's great literature done in Europe, it was done by uh, Dr. Savalimpe. And she looks at aspiration and difficulty swallowing when patients are provided remifentanil as an, an operatory or a medical procedure, essentially. And remifentanil, that's a type of opioid. Correct. That is a type of opioid that is actually even given to pediatric patients that we use here in the U.S. for a lot of different procedures because it's thought to be this fast-acting opioid that's not going to have these long-term adverse effects. And interestingly, what her team found, they put some radio label head material and uh, gave this solution to patients to drink shortly after their operating procedure. And they found that, you know, in a placebo type uh, situation where people were not administered remifentanil, that the material ended up right where it should be in the stomach. However, with people who were administered remifentanil, the radio label had actually ended up in their lungs. And, you know, when you look at the imaging, it's just startling. Like as an SLP, you look at it and you're like, 
oh my gosh, that person, oh man, you just, you feel for them. It's just shocking. And this is not somebody who's an illicit user. This is not somebody who is a chronic user. This is an acute administration. And that's literally what a lot of our basic science experiments are built off of. When we look at that as SLPs, we're looking to see, you know, what type of behaviors this is affect. And that's the first thing that you can see is, wow, it's really affecting that swallow. And that's on the preventative side of our our continuum of airway protective behaviors. The next research that I'm going to share with you is actually in done in animal studies here in the U.S. and some that we have done here at UF. The study really revealed that when we administer opioids, whether it's centrally or peripherally, so so fast acting versus takes a little bit more time to take effect, we found that you know airway protection or ejection behaviors were compromised. So looking at cough, there wasn't as many coughs and there wasn't what we would call in the SLP community, productive coughs. And we also know another protective behavior, the laryngeal adductor reflex or the LAR is also, it's attenuated on one side. An LAR is essential to elicit a productive swallow. An LAR actually allows for glottis closure. It's a ballistic motor-like behavior that allows the vocal cords to close rather quickly. So we can use it right before a cough. We can use it right before a swallow to make sure that we get that airway protected. And it actually allows for a lot of opening in certain um, pharyngeal opening in a lot of other areas too. So it allows it to go back and open. Wendy went on to explain that through research, she's found that sensory fibers which line airways are also affected by opioids and that airway protective behaviors are impaired when opioids are used. She says opioids can affect breathing networks as well. If I can't coordinate my breathing because it's affecting these neural areas, it's going to be really difficult to coordinate breathing and swallowing and eliciting cough and, you know, those other ejection behaviors that I spoke about, such as, you know, expiratory effort, the laryngeal adductor reflex, also really important in the pharyngeal squeeze. I want to be very specific about that. It really is that ballistic motor-like behavior because you need that sensory information to inform, okay, I've got my information. Now I'm going to send out my motor plan. What does that look like? What's the timing of that? And opioids just really mess that up and, and they decrease other things such as breathing with tidal volume and reflex responses. So these are all very fine-tuned, well-programmed behaviors that are essential for organism homeostasis that opioids just wreak havoc on. And those are definitely within the scope of practice for us. There are different things that we can do. We can ask them to do a cough. We can ask them to do things that they would normally do without the presence of stimuli that might enter the airways. I mentioned this is our third episode of ASHA Voices about the opioid epidemic. We've published episodes about prenatal opioid exposure in the schools and an episode about the overlap between populations with hearing loss and those using or misusing opioids. In one of those episodes, a guest from Marshall University in West Virginia, SLP Pam Holland, explains the role of stigma. She says, quote, the stigma is important and we need to make a concerted effort across the nation to change that, end quote. Pam's perspective is one of a researcher and she focuses on school-aged children with prenatal opioid exposure. Is stigma an issue in healthcare too? What role does it play in the opioid crisis as you see it? 
I think it absolutely does. And I, I think a lot of people aren't quite familiar with the psychosocial issues underlining opioid epidemic. And this is not for us to turn our noses up at or turn our noses down at, right? It's more about us providing the best medical care that we can to patients. I think whenever we're doing our best to provide the absolute best medical care in any type of setting, our patients are going to be the better for it. It's my job to make sure that they are swallowing safely, they are able to protect their airways, and that I provide the best care I can within my scope of practice. I think continuing and persisting in the pursuit of knowledge and evidence-based care and understanding how opioids affect not just the airways and swallowing, but also cognitive development, cognitive function, affect breathing, affect everything that is so centered and tied to what we do is going to only help further fighting this epidemic and crisis. And I think all of us together are going to play a very important role, not just SLPs, but audiologists, respiratory therapists, uh, physical therapists, because it doesn't just affect one system. Hmm. Wendy Olson, thank you so much for the conversation and for your time this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Hear all of our episodes about the opioid epidemic, including the conversation with Pam Holland that I just referenced. You'll find them at on.asher.org slash podcast. While you're there, check out our most recent episode of the podcast. It features SLP's Ed Bice and Alicia Vos. They discuss a fearless approach to managing swallowing disorders. Alicia Vos is also an employee of the University of Florida's Breathing Research and Therapeutic Center, just like today's guest. Ed and Alicia will also be a part of the online conference, Controversies and Consensus in Dysphagia Management. The conference begins August 3rd, and registration is open now. You can save $100 when you register by June 30th. Find details on the blog post for this episode at on.asha.org podcast, or find the conference at asha.org events. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader Magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the Medical SLP Collective. If you're an SLP working in the medical space, you're invited to check out Medical SLP Collective. Need to learn about topics relevant to your practice while earning ASHA CEUs? Need coaching and mentorship with your job or latest project? Become a member at www.medslpcollective.com. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.